Just a couple quick announcements. Um, first off, tomorrow at 7 o'clock at the boys' house on the East End, it's on the corner of 7th and Campbell. They're having a Bible study led by um, Brady Evans. It's for college kids. So um, kind of like they did on Tuesday nights. If you're interested in continuing that, I think they're going through the book of Ruth. Okay, cool. Um, don't forget Wednesday night at six, there's a meeting here for the core members. Um, they want you to bring ideas for ministry if you want. Um, they don't really care what you bring, but make sure that you bring yourself because it's very important. Friday night, also at the boys house at five o'clock, they're having a cookout for some East End ministry. So, um, if you're interested in being a part of that ministry, we want you there and it'll be fun. And last announcement. Free market is scheduled. We have a date for June 28th. So if you have clothes that you have already started going through, if there's some not so used items that are still nice because we want to give nice things to people, um, you can go ahead and start bringing those in. Um, And if you have any other questions about that, you could ask Autumn because she's the one in charge of it. If you're interested in volunteering for nursery, you also need to see Autumn because she um, would love to have you on the team. Other than that, um, we're excited. Um, Don't forget to check out reformation.com. That's my shameless plug for our women's ministry. And uh, Jules Bennett just wrote a new article for it, so we're excited for that. And um, we're going to ask questions now. So um, go ahead and get up. And um, today, just ask someone's name, because I see some new faces, and I feel like we don't know a lot of people. So just introduce yourself, and just who you are, and kind of like, okay, break. Right on, right on. What's up, Revolution? Right on. So we are in the book of James right now, and I'm really excited to be preaching this evening, because I'm a nerd, and for the first time Ever, I get to preach what's called exegetically, which means I'm just going to go verse by verse, which I'm really excited to do. I've never done that here before, and I'm a loser, so I've learned all kinds of stuff studying for this. Um, like I said, I'm just really stoked, but before we hop in to the text, uh, I've told you guys before that I played in a hardcore band called Shook Like Dead Men for about three years, me and Steve, and uh, we had a lot of good times. That's where I met Anthony and Meredith over here. Um, not to share the gospel with Anthony. It, is, it was really, really cool. But for every like one good thing that happened, there was like 20 bad things that happened. It's just life being in a band. Um, so for every show you have where there's like 200 kids there or every show you have where you sell a bunch of t-shirts and CDs or like you get to actually share the gospel from the stage, for every like one show you have like that, there's like 10 or 15 shows where like you mention Jesus on stage and everyone starts giving you the finger and walking out. And, uh, and there's like shows where you get stiffed really hard. Um, like I remember we were in North Carolina one time and we were supposed to get paid like three or $400 for playing this show. And uh, after we were done with the set and we were tearing down, we start looking for the promoter and he's gone. So like we're in North Carolina, we don't have very much money. So we're like, okay, we'll, we'll recover. So we drive down to Texas or Florida the next day where we don't get paid again. And then we absolutely have no money and we drive to Texas. (laughs) So, like I said, being in a band, there's never very many good things that happen. Uh, Another one, I was driving through Oklahoma City, and if you're like me, don't let the beard fool you, I am a little girl, and I don't know how to do very many masculine things, and I'm terrified of pulling a trailer, so I'm pulling this 12-foot trailer in this big 12-passenger van, and I lock my brakes up in downtown Oklahoma City traffic and just get rear-ended. They break the hitch on the, it was just, it was a good time. Uh, Nathan Wolf wired us money. God bless him. And ladies, he's still single, if any of you. I always give Wolf a plug. 
I would be, I, I say it every week, I'd be dating him, but that would be a sin. Um, so like you deal with van breakdowns and you deal with all this crap that you have to go through, uh, but you do it with this mindset that like, hey guys, we're going to grow as a band and we're going to grow our fan base and you know, we're, we're just going to keep on keeping on as a band and one day we're going to release a record and the right person's going to hear it and we're going to make it, right, whatever that means. And obviously that didn't happen because I'm here in front of you and I'm not out on tour. I think the closest thing I'm ever going to get to a tour is playing in Christ Community in the morning and then coming in here and playing for you guys in the evening. I think it's about as, as close as it's ever going to get for me. Amen, Steve? Hey, thank you. That's about as good as it's going to get. Uh, but like I said, we, we hung in and we stuck it out, um, and we were all followers of Jesus whenever we were in this band together. Um, most of us still are following Jesus um, as close as we know how. But through every bad thing that happened, we were never excited to like not get paid. We were never like stoked that no one bought our t-shirts. We were never excited whenever someone came up to us and told us, hey dude, your music sucks, which happened more often than you'd think. People are just mean. Um, but we never rejoiced over bad things happening to us. It's really counterintuitive to our nature, right? Bad things happen to us. We get mad. Uh, we start throwing pity parties, stuff like that, which is why this command that James gives us, and uh, we're going to be in James chapter 1, verses 2, 3, and 4 tonight. Um, this command that James give us to, gives us to count everything um, as an opportunity to rejoice whenever we deal with troubles and trials and bad times, it's, like I said, it's really counterintuitive and we don't want to do it because we're not really wired that way because we're sinners, period. Um, so if you guys want to go ahead and turn there or if you're lazy like me, it's going to be up here. Um, by the way, those blue Bibles are free. If you don't have a Bible at home, we want you to take that with you. It's a good translation. Um, so last week, Ryan talked about James 1.1 and he gave us a little bit of historical background and cultural background. And, um, so James, the, the book of James is a letter, and it's written to scattered Jewish Christians all over the Roman Empire. Um, the, the Jews were scattered in what's called the diaspora. It's actually why we have the European Jews and white Jews. Um, whoop, whoop. Just throwing that out there to you guys. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Um, <laughs> thank you, Kelly. Um, so, yeah, so that's, actually, that's why we have white Jews. So James is writing this letter to scattered Christians um, so there's scattered people all throughout the empire, and they have scattered problems. So that's good for us to know because us, we're scattered people. We all, some of us live in Minford. Some of us live in Portsmouth. Some of us live in Wheelersburg, whatever. So we're scattered people, and we have scattered problems as well. Uh, James was writing to a very diverse group. He's writing to rich Christians, poor Christians, old, young, male, female, sick, healthy, people of high class, people that were low-born so, so this is very diverse, and, and I see it here. I see people that are more financially doing well than other people. I see people that are more prone to sickness, uh, things like that. So this letter is just as well to us as it was to them. Right, but we have two things in common, just like the early church that read this have two things in common. One, we all have problems, right? Some of our problems are just straight up worse than other people's, and I'm willing to admit that. Um, but we all have problems that we have to deal with, and we all have Jesus, right? For those of us who call ourselves Christians, we all place our faith in Jesus Christ's perfect life, death, and resurrection for our salvation. And because of that, we can suffer, and we can suffer and rejoice. That's one thing that we have in common. All right, so let's crack into this. James 1, 2 through 4. Uh, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Now that's a really tall order, 
right? James says, whenever you're going through, whatever you're going through, whenever people are dying around you, people are sick, you've lost your job, you've had to sink a bunch of money into something, whatever, count it all joy because our endurance is going to be strengthened. Our faith is being tested and will be perfect and complete. So that's really hard for me to do. I'm not the kind of person that's like, I just don't get excited whenever bad things happen. I throw a fit. I don't know about you guys. I'm super immature. I usually end up going on a cussing rant or something, and then I have to repent of it later and apologize to a bunch of people. Um, but let's, let's actually take a look um, at this text, because I'm going to try to answer two questions uh, this evening. We're going to answer the why and the how. Why should we rejoice in our troubles and trials and our suffering? And, and How? The, the why is a lot easier than the how, and, and the how is usually, we usually understand why the Bible tells us something, but we don't know how to actually make it happen. All right, so let's, let's, go, through, let's go through this uh, verse by verse. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. So when troubles come your way, something I think that's good to note here, this is not if troubles come your way, but when. All right, Christian or non-Christian, whatever, th- bad things are going to happen to you, period. Like the Bible is really clear on that. Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, it's going to cost you everything. He says, take up your cross. This is going to hurt. Bad things are going to happen. Um, that's one of the reasons why I get so frustrated with televangelism. They tell you that being a Christian is all like roses and hot wives and stuff like that. And it's just not how it is. Life sucks a lot of the time. So troubles. Um, I, whenever I first started reading the Bible, I had this... I had this thought whenever I read this at first, like James is saying, when troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for joy. I was like, who is this James guy? Like, has this guy ever went through anything bad at all? Like, and I started, I started looking up James and, and who he was and what kind of stuff he went through. So let's, let's think about James's life for a second. James um, was the son of a carpenter. Right? And carpenters may make good money now, but carpenters were flat broke back then. So he knows what it's like to be poor. All right, James is from Nazareth, which is like being from Minford. So he's from the middle of nowhere, so he knows what it's like to be from nowhere, and no one really care about you. All right, so we got poverty. We got he's a nobody. Um, we go and we look at he's a Christian in the first century. Um, and something you need to know, in the, in the first and second century, uh, Christians were persecuted pretty hard. Um, and they were actually persecuted more harshly by Jewish people than Romans. So we have James, a Jewish Christian, so he's already hated by probably family and a lot of close friends of his, and not only is he a Christian, but he's a leader in the church, so he's extra hated for being a leader, and then we tack it on that he was leader of the church in Jerusalem, the Jewish capital of the world, I might add. So he's like, he definitely is getting hated on by everybody, so he knows what it's like to be poor, he knows what it's like to be a nobody, and he knows what it's like to be hated on from all sides, and as a kicker, this dude's seen a lot of suffering. He, he watched his brother, Jesus, murdered by the Roman government. He knows what it's like. He's, he's been through the ringer. I mean, he also saw Jesus come back from the dead, and I'm not trying to discount that or anything. But this dude has seen a lot of stuff. So whenever, he's, so whenever we read this, we're like, well, a lot easier said than done, James. And James is saying, brother, I've seen and I've done. I've been, I've been in it worse than you. James ended up getting murdered for his faith. So none of us probably are going to go through the same kind of stuff James went through. We live in the United States where everything's just a cushion. It's going to be all right. So James is actually saying, I've had it harder and worse than you. Trust me on this. I know what I'm talking about. So dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Now, I geeked out on this. This word tested in Greek is dokimion. All right, and this word tested is found in the Old Testament a couple of times, uh, in the Psalms usually, and it's referred to this process of refining gold and silver. 
Right? You, burn the, uh, you burn the impurities out of gold and silver. You put it in a crucible, and you keep heating it and heating it and heating it until it melts and, it melts and the impurities come out. So, James is saying that our faith is being made pure, that God is going to throw things at us, that bad things are going to happen, and God's intention is to burn out the impurities of our faith. Right? Something I think good to notice. I don't know, I used to smoke cigarettes, and you ever been burned? Doesn't feel good, all right? I think we can all agree on that. Fire is not okay. It's one of the reasons why hell is extremely unattractive to me. I'm not a fan of being burned. So, but, but God says, I'm going to burn the impurities out of your faith. So this is going to be a painful process most of the time. All right, James is, is making no bones about it. This is going to hurt. But you know when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. All right, so this word endurance is the same word that we use for like building muscle, right? And I don't know about you guys. I used to run like two miles a day. Um, we got any runners in here? Okay. I don't know why you're here um, because you obviously aren't afraid of hell because you put yourself through it on a regular basis. I don't know why you want to serve Jesus and try to avoid hell. Um, I kid, obviously. I, like I said, I used to run two miles a day and I quit that because it sucks. And, uh, but whenever I first started running, I, I could only run for like three minutes at a time, right? And after I do, I'd have to do like three minutes and then take a break and then jump back on the treadmill and do two or three minutes because I was really big and I, I couldn't run. This is the same kind of endurance that, that James is talking about here where you build up strength over time. And, and I think what God's trying to do whenever he throws trials at us, throws hard times at us, um, he might throw something big at you, and if you resolve to be faithful to him, if you cling to Jesus and you keep your faith in, in Jesus, that whenever the whole thing's over with, something else comes at you, and it's smaller than what you've already been through, you can almost laugh it off. Like after nine months of running, three minutes was a joke. So I think Jesus has the same thing in mind whenever he allows us to go through hard things. He's saying, well, whenever other things happen, because more things will happen, some will be less... Um, strenuous on your faith than others, but that you'll be able to just kind of bat them aside and say, I've been through worse than this. Jesus saw me through. I'm not worried about it. So he's trying to build our endurance uh, like a muscle, like build our faith. And then he says, let it grow. All right, so let it grow. Um, Calvinists, you're not going to like this. Uh, That means that there is some responsibility on our part as human beings to resolve to be faithful to Jesus, period. We have, to res- like, we have to have this resolve that we're not going to leave Jesus, that we're going to trust on Jesus, we're going to rely on Jesus, not only for our salvation, but for whatever immediate need that, that we need, whether it be healing, whether it be um, just something to pick you up and get you through the death of a family member, whatever. We have to resolve to be faithful. And it says that we'll be made perfect and complete, needing nothing. So this complete, this perfect, isn't sinless. Right, a lot of people will get that jacked around. First uh, John tells us that anyone who says they have no sin makes God a liar. And we know God doesn't lie. So you're all a bunch of sinners. I am too. And we're gonna, we're gonna, if we're honest with ourselves, we sin on a daily basis. You might not realize it, but you probably do. Um, so James isn't talking about being sinless. He's talking about being perfect in character. Right? Being perfect in our virtues. Things like that. And this is the goal. James also never says we're going to hit the goal. All right, sanctification is what we call this purifying and being made more like Jesus. This is the goal, but we're supposed to strive for it, but we're never told we're actually going to get it. I personally think we're going to get it when we die. Um, you can debate me on that if you want. Um, but, so what's the main idea of this? What's the why? Why did I tell you all of this information? I, I don't know. Maybe you're going to be on Jeopardy. Um, 
But the main idea for this, all right, so testing, when we respond with faithfulness to Jesus uh, and resolve to endure through our testing and trial, it creates godly character in us that lacks none of the virtues of Jesus. All right, that's the whole point of this. So whenever we resolve, resolve to endure in this testing that God's going to purify our faith and make us trust him and make us lean on him more, that eventually, over time, once we come out the other side of these troubles, that we'll be made more like Jesus, that we'll have virtues like Jesus, like steadfastness. We'll be loving, we'll be righteous, we'll be kind, we'll be graceful, we'll be merciful. We'll be, able, we'll be willing to give help to people that are in need. We'll be able, we'll be able to be hopeful through hard circumstances. All right, so we understand that God needs to grow us. We get the why, that God is intending to grow us through our trials. So that's the why, but how? How do we resolve to, be, to, to endure? Like what gives us like the gumption or whatever to, to be faithful to Jesus? How can we resolve to endure? We understand why we should, but how? Well, I think that there's a couple things we have to keep in mind. One, this command um, to consider everything an opportunity for joy, this command is not masochistic, all right? This command is not for you to be like, yeah, bring on the suffering. Like, Lord, let all my family members get sick and die. Bring on the growth, Jesus. Like, that's not what this is about. And if that's ever your mentality, we have a young lady named Cassie Clark that would like to counsel you if that's ever your mentality on your family members. Um, But that's not what he's commanding here. All right, um, And we don't need to pray for trials either. We don't need to pray for trouble. Jesus says every day has enough trouble for itself. James says when trouble comes, not if. So this isn't masochistic, and we don't need to pray for it either. It's just going to happen. Another thing to bear in mind, too, is that this command has nothing to do, this command to be joyful, to rejoice in our suffering, has nothing to do with happiness. All right, you hear like the Christian cliche, happiness and joy aren't the same, but a lot of people don't want to explain that one very well. Happiness is situational, all right? Like, you're driving down the road, it's a beautiful day outside, you have your windows down, the radio is playing the first good song it's played in like 10 years, and if you're like me, you have a piece of crap car with a banging sound system, so you just got it cranked up as loud as you can, and then in one second, the, like the radio switches to Justin Bieber and it starts raining, and your day is just shot, all right? That's how quick happiness can go away. Happiness is completely fleeting, and it's, it's situationally based, We're not told to be happy whenever we go through suffering. We're told to rejoice, to be joyful, to count it an opportunity for great joy. And joy is not situational. Joy comes from our understanding of our relationship to God. And nothing can shake that. Nothing can take Jesus' perfect life, death, and resurrection away from us. Nothing. Life, death, sickness, financial trouble, whatever. Nothing can take that away from us. So this has nothing to do with happiness, but everything to do with our relationship to God. Uh, and there's a, there's a couple of reasons um, that we can count our suffering as an occasion to rejoice. Um, and one of them is, is it's anticipated joy. Like I said, it's not happiness. It's not in this situation, but it's anticipated. It's what we know is going to happen later as a result of this present suffering. So this joy is anticipated joy because, one, we're going to grow to be like Jesus. James says that. Point blank, we're going to, our faith is going to be made perfect and complete, and we're going to have all the characteristics that Jesus has. That's the goal. So we're going to grow to be more like Jesus. Now, I've got a couple examples of that. Um, one, for me, um, this happened to me recently. I work for my beautiful mother who is sitting here in the second row. We own a store called Mule Town Mini Mart out in Minford, and if you ever want a free hot dog, come hit me up. It's a shameless plug. Um, but we own a store, and I remember um, 
I talked to my sister, and she's wanting to sell me her house um, next year sometime, hopefully. And I, she, we sit down, and she tells me, hey, Dave, this is how much you need to make a month in order to just to pay the bills, not to save any money, but just to pay the bills. And that is that was less than I was making. So I go to my mom, and I say, Mom, I'm already working like 45 hours a week. I'm not making enough money. I need a raise. And she looks me dead in the face and says, David, we don't have enough money to, to give you the raise that you need. And my family's pretty financially well off. So for the first time in my life, my family can't help me with my finances. So I throw a fit, not to my mom necessarily, but like in like secret places. I'm just super mad. Like I dropped out of college so that I could take over the store, but how things are shaping up, I'm not going to be able to take over the store until I'm like 38. So do I live with my parents until I'm 40 and get married and just have like a little section of the house? And that just didn't sound appealing to me. I don't know about you guys. Because um, I wasn't going to be the 40-year-old virgin, I'll tell you that. Um, and so I was like, so, so what do I do? So what do I do? So I'm stuck here. I'm like, well, I either have to find a new job or God's going to have to provide for me. And I don't want to have to find a new job because when I own that store, it's going to rule, I might add. Um, yeah, it's going to be my little playhouse. Um, so I start praying really hard. After I, after I have to repent for acting like an idiot and just being really mad, Um, because I don't know if anyone else is like that, that whenever bad things happen to you, you act a fool. Um, That's just me, though. And after I repent, I decide, you know, I need to rely on God, that that either God's going to give me an opportunity to get another job, or God's going to make it to where I can get a raise. So I start praying for months and months and months and months, and I start trusting Jesus, and I, and I kind of start to not worry about it because I understand, you know, Jesus says, you know, how much, how much more are you worth than a bird? And God sees every bird that hits the ground. Nothing happens apart from God's knowledge and apart from God's will. So I learned to actually trust God's will, and I learned to trust God for my finances. And I'm sure I'm going to have to learn how to do that way more in the future, especially if I have kids or something. But I, I came to understand that I have to trust Jesus. So I was made more like Jesus through this trial and not to boast, I boast in the Lord. Thank you for giving this to me. My mom calls me back into her office a few weeks ago and tells me that we talked to the bookkeeper and not only can we afford to give you the raise, but we're taking a raise as well. So that was freaking awesome. I mean, I was super excited about that. So apparently my will, what I wanted and God's will matched up and he gave me what I wanted after teaching me a lesson, right? He made me more like Jesus. I understand that I have to rely on God, that human beings aren't gonna always be able to provide for me and that everything comes from God. I also learned that God is a good gift giver that we're gonna be talking about here in a couple of weeks in James. Um, so I learned a lot about, a lot about God and, I, and I, I learned to rely on him. So I was made more like Jesus through this. Now, not everything's happy like that. Sometimes God gives you what, he, what you want and sometimes he doesn't. Um, I'm not gonna lie to you, I'm not Joel Osteen. I'm not going to tell you that if you pray hard enough and have enough faith, God will give you all the money you need and all this other bull crap you hear on TV. That's not true at all. God actually promises suffering, and that's all that you're promised as a Christian. Um, but if he gives you something else, he's throwing you a bone because he's a good God, <laughs> period. Um, but things don't always go that way, which brings me to my next example. Um, here at Revolution, we have two beautiful uh, missionaries named Sean and Jen Diatley, and they're in Senegal, Africa right now. And they are just great examples of of faithfulness to Jesus through trial. And I've talked to them about this and they gave me their okay. This is all public knowledge. I'm not putting their stuff out on blast. Um, They've been married for years. They've been missionaries for years and they've wanted desperately to have a family. They want to have children and they've had people pray over them. They've had elders pray for them. They've tried every medical thing you could imagine to try to have children naturally. And as far as we can tell, and we still pray for God to do a mighty work in that situation and allow them to have children. But as far as we can see, it's just not going to happen. 
God has answered their prayer with a resounding no. And I got the chance to sit down with Sean and, uh, and talk to him about that. And Sean's just a really godly dude. Um, I love that guy. If you guys are listening to this, we love you, Sean and Jen. Um, and listen to the podcasts. Um, yeah, there's no like, yeah, there's, there's no like telekinetic kind of thing going on here. But in, but in the middle of this, I, I had the opportunity to, to sit down with Sean and say, man, how are you, how are you, do, how, how are you doing with this? Like, how are you, are you learning anything from this? Like, because I, I just, I, I only met Sean a few months ago and really got to know him pretty well. And I love that dude. But, but me and him sat down and, and he told me, you know, I'm learning a lot about God being the God that he is and not the God that I want him to be. He said, and I'm learning that I need to trust God and his will and that his will is greater than mine even whenever it hurts so bad. And he said, I'm also learning that God says no sometimes and I have to learn how to deal with it and learn how to trust that his no is what's best in my life, which are all things Jesus had to learn. Whenever Jesus was here, he learned resounding no in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus, Jesus prayed, cried out to God, sweat blood, said, God, if there's any way that I don't have to die, to save these people. I don't want to suffer your wrath and I don't want to die. And God said, no, you have to die. And Jesus says, your will be done, not mine. So they're being made more like Christ as well. Even in the middle of this, even though their suffering is way, way greater than anything I've ever had to go through, they're being made like Jesus, the same that I was being made like Jesus. So this anticipated joy isn't in the suffering. This anticipated joy is that we're going to learn to be more like Christ, that we're going to be lacking none of the virtues of Jesus. So that's only one of the reasons, though. And if you've not paid attention to anything I've said, pay attention to this. This joy is anticipated joy for the future. Not only once we get out from under this trial or out from under this suffering, but this anticipated joy comes from the fact that that God is going to set things right someday. We know what the future holds. We know that Jesus promises to fix everything and set everything back to how it's supposed to be, and that's sinless and perfect. So we don't know what tomorrow holds, but what we know is that by the end of time, everything will be right. There will be no more suffering. There will be no more sickness, no more trial, no more death, no more financial struggle, no more anything, because Jesus is going to fix everything. And we know what the future holds because we know what happened in the past. We know what happened in the past was that Jesus Christ counted it joy to go to the cross. We can know that he's going to do this in the future because we know in the past that we were sinners and that our sin separated us from God. Our sin was rebellion and we stood guilty in front of a righteous judge and that we deserve damnation and God's wrath but that God is a God of mercy and love and that he did not want that for us. So he sent Jesus and Jesus counted it joy to take on flesh and come to the earth and live a perfect sinless life full of suffering, full of, full of suffering and, and temptation and trial. Jesus counted it joy to come and do that for us. And then Jesus counted it joy to take our sin on himself and he counted it joy to go to the cross and suffer the wrath of God. He did not count it as happiness. He did not want to do that, but he did it because he knew something. He knew that three days later, God would raise him from the dead. 
He knew that he was going to save us through this perfect life, death, and resurrection. And I think this is what he knew on the cross. I think that he knew his present state of suffering was not the end. Jesus Christ knew that the cross was not the end, that his suffering that he was enduring in that moment was not the end of his existence. And neither is ours. That's the good news. Our present suffering is not the end of our existence because we have been made one with Jesus. God raised him from the dead. God raised him to glory. We have been made one with Christ. It's no longer us that live, but Christ that lives through us so we can persevere through suffering. We can remain faithful. We can resolve to endure because we know that the thing that God promised Jesus, resurrection, that God promised Jesus restoration, we get the same promise. So these 70 or 80 years worth of suffering and pain that we have to go through, this is as bad as it gets for us. This is as bad as it gets for us that that place our faith in Jesus. And we know that because what Paul tells us in Romans 8, he says, yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too await with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. And we were given this hope when we were saved. We were given this hope, this promise that our suffering is not going to be the end of us whenever we place our faith in Jesus. We can endure in order to prove our faith because Jesus endured first. We can resolve to be faithful to Jesus because this is not the end. For those of us who are faithful to Jesus and place our faith in Christ, this is as bad as it's ever going to get. I'm not one for scare tactics or anything like that, but for any of you here that don't, um, that haven't placed your faith in Jesus, that don't follow Jesus, I'm here to tell you the 70 or 80 years of suffering you have here are two things. One, your suffering is pointless. See, whenever we suffer because we have faith in Jesus, whenever a Christian suffers, we're being made more like Christ. We have that promise to hold on to that our suffering is not in vain, but without faith in Jesus, your suffering is just suffering. It's just pain. It just hurts. There's nothing good that's going to come from it. And this suffering is only the beginning of suffering without Jesus. For those of us who have faith in Jesus, whenever we die, we stand before God, and God is going to judge us for the sins that we've committed. But Jesus stands in between us and God, and he throws his hands up, and he says, I paid for what he did on the cross. He does not deserve your wrath because I already took your wrath on his behalf. That's why our suffering ends when we die. But without faith in Jesus, if you don't follow Jesus, if you've not genuinely called Jesus your Lord and Savior, you stand before God with no one between you and God, no advocate, no mediator, and God directs his righteous judgment at you for your glad rebellion against him. And you have to take it. And you have to suffer God's wrath. So this suffering is only the beginning for those of you who don't have faith in Jesus. And I'm not trying to scare you. So if, if any of you guys, um, there, there's a response to hearing this kind of a message. There's a response. 
Um, either you accept Christ or you reject Christ or you make no response, which is a response of rejecting Christ. So, you know, during the worship set, after church, whatever, after the service is over, we're going to have a couple people, Allie and AJ, they're here in the front row. They're going to be over by the couch. If anyone wants to pray or anyone wants to talk about what it means to follow Jesus, um, about what it means to, to, to suffer with purpose, to, for what it means that Jesus Christ died in your place for your sin, you can come over here. You can talk to those two. You can talk to me. You can talk to Megan. You can talk to anyone that's going to be on stage um, during the worship set. Well, please come talk to us. I, I implore you to have faith in Jesus because I don't know how you suffer without Jesus. I don't know how you do it. But Christians, remember that this is not the end, that our suffering will be over shortly and that it's nothing compared to what God has in store for us. That's how we can be faithful. That's how we can endure. Let's pray. Father, I, I thank you so much um, for the cross, for the fact that, that Jesus' suffering wasn't the end of him, um, but that Jesus could count it joy because he saw future glory, and that for those of us who place faith in you, that we will be raised to glory in the future as well, that whatever we suffer here is temporary. God, I thank you for that promise. And God, I pray that, that anyone here who doesn't have faith in you, that they come to faith, that they genuinely believe the message of the cross and that they devote their lives to following you with all that they have. Father, I pray you be with us as we worship because you deserve it. The king that suffered for us in our place so that we don't have to suffer the wrath of God. You deserve our worship. You deserve our glory. You deserve all good things, God. Be with us and let us... Let us do justice to your majesty. Pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.